Geek Shock. Geek Shock. I mean, with Matt's new uh, microphone, they're going to recognize his voice past Australia. Right. Uh. What's past <laughs> Australia? Do we have any Antarctic Arctic scientists? <laughs> Speaking of Australia, I was like, crikey, me Steve Irwin needs some more work. All right. <laughs> Shock uh. monkeys all over the world were like, should I send this email? Let me listen to what he did last week. Nope, delete. <laughs> So I uh, used a metal detector to find my grandmother in the backyard. I'm sorry? <laughs> Did what now? <laughs> Geeky thing you do this week? <laughs> yeah. No, I borrowed a metal detector and uh, searched for my grandmother who's buried in the backyard. Uh, and uh, then I planted buried? a... What? Is she, is she buried, buried in the backyard? You mean buried? <laughs> yeah. Now, hold planted, on, hold on. I planted a dogwood tree over her. Hold on. Mm-hmm. Was it a metal... Um, was it a metal like urn? Yes, that, that you be a metal. okay. I, I assume because I did pick it up. I thought maybe she had like a metal hip, and you're like, no. Where's grandma? <laughs> it's right, no, no. <laughs> we, we illegally put uh ashes in the backyard, not uh, illegally put the whole body back there. I, well, I, and, I and and I had nothing to do with it, I just made it better. I, I was gonna say, You're gonna have to explain that because <laughs> no, that, that that happened when I didn't live here. I, I thought this was going to be another one of those elaborate Andy stories where it's just way too bizarre to be true, but it has to be because of how bizarre it is. Well, yep. you know why he had to find his grandma, right? The clampers had to put a plaque. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? That, that urn was so heavy, Andy had to dig a hole under it so he could get his legs under it to lift it up out of the ground. Right, right. That's what we're doing. Actually, I, gra- I did, Grandma's I did, so fat. She's. <laughs> I actually did. I did fill that hole in uh, this week. I, I planted a. I uh, planted a, a pear tree. Welcome, folks, to Geek Shock number five hundred eighty-six. I am Master Torgo. Eighties Jeff. Commander K. Fact check, Andy. Silky smooth radio voice, Matt. <laughs> and we're here to talk. We can geek. Matt got a new mic for all of our sakes. So wonderful, and you sound Matt. great. Matt also has a new job on the Light FM. Or strip clubs are opening up, right? So we have That's Andy, not... Andy, Andy, stage five. Stage no. five. No, 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 no. <laughs> Nobody wants to see that. <laughs> I, I didn't. I didn't say I wouldn't do it, but that's not. That's <laughs> no, not the right voice. <laughs> oh, all right, all right. Your 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 stripper name, Andy. I just came up with it. Squatching Andy. Squatching Andy. His MC wouldn't be Silky Boy's Mad. It would be, okay, who's next? Andy. Andy on deck. Andy on deck. Get ready for main stage. <laughs> that sounds like a, a cross between Gilbert Gottfried and Stan Lee right there. <laughs> <laughs> Stan, Stan Gottfried. Andy, squanching Andy. Excelsior. <laughs> Squatch and Andy, I love it. Squatch and Andy. 
Uh, the Geek Shock Book Club is reading Invincible by Robert Kirkman, but we're also taking nominations for next month's book. So feel free to jump in and nominate a book for May. And gentlemen, what geeky things you do this week? Absolutely nothing. See, we hear that <laughs> loud and clear, perfectly so worth the purchase. <laughs> I don't know, because it's an expensive mic, but sure. Does, doesn't he bought an expensive or... li- mic to say nothing. Not just nothing, Jeff. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> I did so a lot Jeff... of home improvement stuff. That's all I okay. could do this week. So, like, gardening, stores, and centers. And then also, we we're thinking about getting a fountain. Hopefully, my HOA doesn't oh. listen to this podcast, because I don't think mm-hmm. we can do fountains, but we're going to do it anyways. Fuck you, HOA. <laughs> Hide it in the back. You're fine. <laughs> what what yeah, trees did true. you plant? Because we compare notes. Uh, pear tree. And what was the other one? Dogwood? Dogwood, yeah. yeah. So, you need a partridge to go with your pear tree? Yeah, sure. Jeff, what did you do this week? I uh, got caught up on Invincible, and I finished Falcon and the Winter Soldier. All right. And... Before we continue on with Falcon and the Winter Soldier, we are going to discuss Falcon and the Winter Soldier with spoiler talk at the end of this show. So we will let you know before we start spoiling the show if you want to keep spoiler-free. Uh, so there'll be plenty of warning. So spoiler-free, what do you think of Falcon? Me, personally, I thought the first three episodes were a little slow. I, I realized why after the final three episodes. But uh, the final three episodes, for me, really made the series. And uh, I definitely see what they're doing setting up for the, for the future of the MCU. I really enjoyed it. I, I literally thought that sixth and final episode was the strongest. So that's, uh, that's my take on it. Invincible still continues to shock and amaze me. There's only one episode left, I guess, that posts on Thursday night, if I'm not mistaken. So I'm interested to see. I, I have my suspicions, having never read the, the graphic novel. I have my suspicions as to where the storyline is going, but uh, still interested to take the ride to see where, how it gets there. That's also just a miniseries, right? I think, if I remember correctly, they got approved for a second season. Is that right? But yeah, that's what I did this week. Anybody else have a thought on uh, Falcon before we move on? I'll talk about it after that. I'll talk at the end of the show, but I agree with uh, Jeff. It was my uh, comment, and Kirsten, I think you agreed with me, right, that the uh, it wasn't must-see TV. It was, oh, I'm going to watch this this week sometime. You know, I, I really enjoyed it, but I didn't feel the press that I felt with uh, uh, WandaVision. Definitely, um, and I don't have the gl- glowing review of the show that Jeff does. Um, I thought it was good. Don't get me wrong. I thought the A story, though, was pretty weak. We'll get into specifics later on. But yeah. is, is it worthwhile seeing? Yeah, because if nothing else, it actually does advance the MCU a little bit. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, it's Marvel. It's, yeah. So, so Mar- Marvel's bad is, is DC's good. So Yeah. Yeah. I really want to argue bad. that point, but I can't. Marvel's bad is DC's best. <laughs> Indeed. I don't know, man. They got some good stuff the, on the animated side. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, we're not talking about the animated side, are we, Matt? No. Well, you didn't say Marvel live action, so... <laughs> I, th- I think MCU summed that up pretty well. Okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> look at his face. I see why you guys laugh. and la- Look at that face. <laughs> 
you guys can't see it at home, but uh, he always makes these faces, and it's hard to concentrate. <laughs> who is, who is the he? Uh, Commander K. Commander okay. K. Because <laughs> yeah. everyone's making some face here. Yeah, but his is like putty. I don't know. Like, <laughs> like I was an actor or something. It's weird. Shut up. I will say that DC animation is better than Marvel animation thus far when it comes yeah. to the comparison. But I also think part of that is that DC makes so much animation and not all of it works, but they make so much of it that some of it works really well and that you forget the kind of the bad ones. Yeah. Cause every I mean, now and then I'll go onto HBO max and I'll turn on one of the DC animated shows and I'll be like, Oh shit, this, this isn't good at all. Let me clarify that then. Maybe they're one-offs and like um, Batman Gotham by Gaslight. Like that one's really good. Okay. I didn't realize they'd actually animated that. I'll have to watch that one. I enjoyed the book. You know, Todd, you could actually expand that to say just Warner Brothers animation in general can be very hit or miss. And and they do make a ton of it. So it's like, you know, throw everything at the wall and see what sticks. Um, I don't remember if I mentioned it on the show a while back, but I watched on um, Netflix uh, Mortal Kombat Legends animated. Uh, it's called Scorpion's Revenge. I watched that last night. It's not fantastic, but it's not bad. I mean, a lot of the storyline is based out of the more recent versions of the video game, but it's not terrible. And I've seen a lot of terrible Mortal Kombat stuff over the years. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, the, the two movies. <laughs> well, yeah, from the, the um, '90s movies. Sorry. Yeah, I haven't seen the most recent one that just just dropped. I gotta be honest, the, that uh, that Mortal Kombat Scorpion's Revenge is worth checking out. It is definitely aimed to adults. That yes. is a super violent, almost more violent than the Mortal Kombat movie. There, there's a lot of flying meat and blood. Is it more violent than the actual video game? No, not the same. Nothing, nothing is more violent than the actual video game, including um, the the recent Mortal Kombat movie, which is very violent. Yeah. So, Andy, what did you do this week? Uh, I watched, um, a couple episodes of Prop Culture. It's a, uh, show on Disney Plus. It's a guy, it's a guy who collects props, um, and then he hunts down props. And he has access to the Disney warehouse. So he goes in and Ooh. pulls out props. It's like, holy shit, that, that still exists. So, uh, the first two episodes are Mary Poppins and Tron. And he brings in some of the actors and brings them to the props. Or they go to their place and gets the props and talks to the people that built the props. It's it's up my alley. It's it's completely my show. But I somehow missed that one. Um, I haven't spent a lot of time on Disney Plus lately. Um, I literally just pop on to watch uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier. Um, so I I do need to kind of go through because I know they've added a ton of stuff over the last few weeks. So I mm -hmm. do need to kind of go through and see what the new ones. But yeah, I and um, looks no, like I it says twenty twenty. So I, I yeah I don't know how I missed this one. I recommend prop culture for you specifically, Jeff, but uh, like anybody who's into props for sure. Oh, yeah. So many times I've had opportunities to buy like screen used props, but then they want way more than I can afford. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to have to pass on that. And then you see it like go up on uh, one of those prop auctions and you're like, damn it. <laughs> it went for way more yeah. than that. Spoiler, it's amazing that any of the Tron props are surviving at all. I know, right? Like that it's like stuck they stuck tape on stuff. They stuck yeah. tape on stuff to make it. Especially like uh when you consider a lot of your early movies 
it's it's stuff that they had around so it was like real chairs real desks etc and they just would recycle those and recycle those through and then when they started making screen specific props they were only designed and crafted to be used for the production and then after that if it broke or disintegrated they didn't care so right. the fact they, that they some were, of these they were just are, props yeah some of mm-hmm. the fact that some of these things are even still around from 70s and 80s is amazing uh, I think a lot of movies now are designing their props to be long lasting so they can either be used in a sequel or they can be sold um, at auction to make the studio more money. So I'll be here in sometime in the next week or two when you've seen it, Jeff, because it does, like I say, really seem like yours and mine. I also watched both versions of the Italian job sort of weirdly. Ah. Uh, I had not seen the original Michael Caine version. Really? And uh, uh, the 2003 remake, which is very little of a remake, is much better. I'm sorry. I realize I'm, I'm stepping on uh, cinematic toes here, but uh, that Michael Caine version is awful slow. Michael yeah. Caine, do you have a rebuttal for that? I don't think Andy knows what he's talking about. <laughs> do you have any idea who I am? I'm Michael fucking Caine. You cannot tell me how to make my own movies. Perfect. And then the other thing I did was Kay and I played uh, Roll20. Nice. Uh, I barely played Roll20. It took me a long time to work out the technical stuff. I I had a real dumb on it. The, the Roll20 system, I did get, to, I do feel comfortable with it now, but it took a lot of work to get me into that. What the hell, where, where were we? We're in the woods chasing on weirdness, but we uh, we fought bears and, and uh, we. Uh, and then we played Roll20. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, it was. It yeah, was we were was, playing. Uh, uh, Elena did a one shot, and Andy was like, "I'm gonna do this." Yeah, so we did it. Steve begged off. He was just too intimidated to work against An- Andy, and so he uh, he ran away. But uh, Roll Twenty loved Andy, gave him beautiful stats for his character. Then he was rolling crits like crazy. Whoa! He damn near took over the whole party. You know, oh, it's wow. like. You know, uh, can we find any tracks? And the ranger's like, I'll try. That A ranger played by Adam. And he rolls, and Andy's like, I'll try too. And Andy rolls a 25, and Adam is like, got a 13. And so it's like, oh, Andy, you see this. And well, everyone make perception rolls. And Andy <laughs> right, my, my, rolls my favorite one was there was, yeah, there, there was one where there was the weather was shifting, and we had to roll perception rolls. And the ranger rolled a, a three or four, and I rolled a, a 20. And ranger's looking at the ground. Do you guys use digital dice on that, or do you actually roll yeah. dice at your own home? Okay, digital. Yeah, that's what I mean it's... by by roll 20 loved Andy, because we were using the digital dice function. And is sometimes it does get weird. There yeah. was one time Elena actually, after like the fourth or fifth fumble in a row, Elena told everyone to log off and log back on because. No. <laughs> yeah, this wasn't this wasn't our game. Okay. This wasn't an R game. This is another game. But yeah, Elena's a very good dungeon master. It was it was a great adventure. Uh, we were having so much fun, and we were actually doing some serious role playing and and cooperating that we actually uh, we actually lollygagged a bit, and it's no longer a one part adventure. No. Yeah. We have a, we have a sequel next week. Next week. Is this the same adventure that you made your six-hour-long character creation, Kay? 
Yes. Yes. And we didn't quite play as long as it took me to create a character. So we still uh, <laughs> we still have work to do. But that's that's why we have to have the second uh, second game. So, you know, that evens up. Yeah. Day. I did. There was like a character background thing. And I wrote like a like a page, page and a half. And I'm like, well, this is pretty good. And I saw a case and like, oh, that's much more concise. It's only a paragraph and it tells me more than I need to know. <laughs> Three sentences. Yeah. Well, and it, it was funny because it's a one shot. What are you doing? Your backstory is going to be longer than the than the scenario. You know what that and, tells me? Mm-hmm. Uh, as as somebody that has had a little bit of experience with working with actors and journalists, that shows the difference between the mindset of a journalist trying to write a background and an actor trying to write a background. <laughs> the actor's there trying to do as, as clear and concise as possible in a short amount of time, whereas the journalist is used to embellishing and no, filling no, out no, the page. Not embellishing. Not, embellish- <laughs> not em- <laughs> embellishing. Not embellishing. Making sure all the facts are there. Well... Potato, potato. <laughs> yeah, that Main Street Mandy, yeah. you know, he's writing his backstory because uh, he's got that agenda to take all our guns. Right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. You got to watch out for those birds, too. You know, we, uh, we actually <laughs> ran into a merchant that Elena, just for some reason, turned into a maggot. And so he's talking conspiracies about birds. He thinks <laughs> birds are fake. And so then I jumped on started complaining about mainstream scribes and their their agenda to take away all our swords. And then the merchant's like, what I got here in my wagon is a bunch of swords. Don't tell anyone. I love that. Pretty soon, Adam Kozlowski is like, well, guys, it's not like I'm sitting here having much sympathy for this guy who's who's trying to keep swords from the man. <laughs> and yeah. I hear that, and all but I'm it, thinking is, "I'll take swords for a thousand, Alex." Right. <laughs> that was a great Michael Caine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I, I, I overwrote my background so much that I think Kay is going to kill me now, or at least capture <laughs> me, because he's he's a bounty hunter, and he's decided he's going to take me back to the uh, bounty. Yeah. As, as soon as Andy was like, I'm on the run from some king, I'm like, okay, well, see, I don't need a page and a half. Andy wrote half of it for me. <laughs> Guess he's a bounty hunter, so, yeah. So you're saying and, the uh, jig is up, the news is out, they finally found Andy? That's right. Yeah. I haven't revealed it yet because I'm actually having second thoughts because I took the bounty, I was short on money, but... You know, having having met Andy and talked to him, I'm sort of like, ah, you know, you get you get, you know, feeling sorry like you do for Andy after you meet him. And uh, <laughs> well, well like, also, also, we were stuck together. We were snowed in in the woods for like months. So so, so, so are so you saying be... that Andy Grogood you there, Kay? <laughs> <laughs> I want everyone to imagine a little Andy in robes. <laughs> Drinking soup and spilling it all over himself. <laughs> and constantly swatting his hand. Hey, get that out of your mouth. Don't eat the babies. Don't eat that. 
Yeah, when, whenever you move anything, whenever you move, Andy. yeah, whenever you move that wire of your mic, it's, it, it bounces up against you and makes a lot of noise. Yeah, I'll stop doing the I'll stop doing the robe then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, do I the visual was... jokes for the listeners. All right. <laughs> and see here, I thought he was just trying to wrap himself in green so that on the camera he'd just be a floating head. <laughs> Don't give him ideas. Yeah. So, anyways, I really enjoyed the system, and uh, I would I would recommend it. But uh, but it might be the last thing technical I learn. I think I might that my brain may be full now. No more systems you, for you. Yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna. Have, I'll screen cap and post our email our text exchanges as Andy tries to learn Roll Twenty and Discord and Hero Forge. Oh wow! Yeah, there's a lot of stuff to learn. Actually, I knew Hero Forge, but it was saving stuff on Hero Forge I had to learn. Andy, you know what I found out? What? Uh, Kevin uh, Kevin Toledo told me this. There, there's a that I could have. I didn't need to reconstruct uh, my character's armor from scratch. There's an undo button. Oh, you know what oh. the undo button is? You know the drop down where you go to save and share and do all that crap for your for your fig image. Mm-hmm. That's where it is. Ah, <laughs> the more you know. <laughs> yeah, da, 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 da. And, and then, like a week later, Ulrike posts. Actually, you can also do Control Z, and oh, I don't yes. even know my keyboard shortcuts, so I wouldn't even thought of that. But that makes sense. So I was just like, oh, well, it's good to know now. That's right. Ulrika was playing too, and that's how you say her name. Like Eureka. Uh, good TV series. <laughs> yeah. Well, this week was the big whitewater pinball tournaments on pinball FX shock monkey wise. It ended, I believe uh, Saturday night. And, uh, and I have, I have the post. Don't, don't you dare. There are no base city rollers allowed on our podcast. So here are the standings of the geek shock whitewater pinball tournament at number one Torgo with 155 million. I will say, I had a lucky game. It was a very, very lucky game. Uh, again, the rules of this tournament was that you couldn't use any superpowers, any upgrades, and you only had three tries, meaning you had three full pinball games to post a score. If you couldn't do it in three, well, it, you just got the best score of what you did. Well, that's fine. How bad did Barry do? Oh, we'll get to Barry. In number two, <laughs> Microscoop with 60 million points. Good job, Microscoop. Uh, and number three, third place, Punch Clops with 33 million. Uh, rounding into four, Leon Mitt with 16 million. Uh, D Aches 1209 at 10 million. And dead last, Dr. Vlarg with 9 million points. <laughs> <laughs> so he's the um, $9 million band? I, I am, I am, I'm not excusing him because it's his own damn fault for not listening to the podcast that he's on. But apparently he was either too drunk or he forgot that the you only get three tries. So apparently he would rage quit after each ball went down and start over again, which means he probably got $9 million on one ball, and that was his best ball singular. Oh, wow. Uh, so that's what you get for, for rage quitting and gaming the system on a, a tournament. That's why I established it this way. That it's, mm -hmm. it. Because you can, you can, you know, you can bang your head against this table until you just get the best score possible, and that's kind of what 
most people do on unlimited. But if you only have three chances, you know, that's it. That, this, is, now, this, is, this, this is the test of skill here. Could you have practiced off tournament and then gone yes, in? Yes, of okay. course. You, you play that table as much as you want. Then when you're ready for tournament, you go in. And even if you've already joined the tournament, like one game, then you can go practice a few more times in the single-player game and then come back and did two and three. I posted my first score when the tournament first began, and then I didn't come back to it again until uh, Saturday. I let a whole week go and just kind of you know played the table a few times just to try to get used to certain shots. And it's a table that you just can't get used to. It's a cruel, cruel ball sink of a table. So there it is. That is the lineup. Dead last, Vlarg. Third place, Punch Clops. Second place, Microscope. And number one, Torgo. Uh, big surprise there. Is this dead last out of four, though? Dead, dead last out of six. Six. So I think he even job, said that, Vlarg. too. I think he even said that, too. Like, I'm just going to rage quit. I'm going to do horrible on this. And, and I think Deb actually corrected him that he couldn't do that because he'd lose the, yeah. Yeah, I, I did the edit on that show. Yeah, I corrected him as well. He just forgot or didn't pay attention. Either way, it's his own fault that he lost. We all know how good Barry's memory is, you know. He doesn't remember what he said five minutes prior to him saying something. So, yeah, we all know how bad his memory is. I think there might have been some Trader Joe's schnapps involved. Uh, I also got uh, back into playing something I haven't played in, I would say, close to 20 years or so at this point. Uh, I rejoined the Hollywood Stock Exchange. No way. Uh, yeah, hsx.com, hollywoodstockexchange.com. It is it is an internet web game. It's free and it treats movies as stocks. So you're buying shares of movies at what you think its final gross is going to be after I think it's 3 weeks and then it drops off. There's a Bee Gees movie that got announced, and so its IPO started at $25 million. and so if you think the movie's going to make more than that, you buy as many shares at $25, or what would be equal to $25 million when the box office hits. And if it does better than that, then it pays out at that higher amount, or if it does less, you lose money. And so it, it's just basically turning the whole Hollywood economy into a stock exchange, and you can buy and sell stars as far as how how well their movies do. It's been interesting coming back to it at this time because with the theaters being closed and now movies starting to slowly come back as the uh, pandemic somewhat dies down in the U.S., guessing what movies are going to make is that much harder. Somebody fantasy football Hollywood? Yes, and wow. they've been doing it for ages. I first did this Hollywood Stock Exchange back in 1999. Yeah, you got me started on that way back then. Yeah, and in fact, I had I'd been away from it for I like 18, 19 years, and so of course my all my information's just gone. That's you, after you're gone for forever, you know they just kick you off. I started from brand new, uh, but when you join up, they start you with two million dollars to invest to your heart's content, and mm. and you and you're buying and selling movies as the price raises, and you want to sell it off before the movie comes out. That's fine. Or if it starts to lose price, you think it's going to come back up, you can buy it at a lesser price later on. You're playing the same guessing game that 
you do with regular stocks. It's its own form of gambling. And of course, there's no real money involved in any of this. There's, uh, no, there's no buying anything. It doesn't cost anything to join up. And there's trivia games that you can play each day, daily. One is a trivia game as to which movie made more money. It gives you a movie A and movie B. And then there's just general movie trivia. And every day there's five questions in each one of those. And each one of those will gain you $2,000 more to spend in the game. So there is a way of gaining money to buy more stocks, even if you have completely blown that $2 million. But if you're into that whole stock exchange game kind of thing and you're into movies Hollywood Stock Exchange is a fun thing and it's not a game that you sit and play it's a game that you go onto the internet for five minutes do some fiddling with your stock and then go off for the day or the week or whatever and you come back a week later and see how things are going so how much money are you investing in the Uno movie I didn't go looking for it uh, so I, I don't even know if it's available as an IPO yet I actually in the uh, the Uno online game i have i found a little section that has a story to it and, and the story is dumb as a box of rocks so wait maybe... oh, oh do your best to uh oh god yeah give, give me the, the 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 log line for the uno story you are asked by ada uh, a young woman to transport her cat and dog across town to the airport the cat <laughs> okay. and, the, the cat and dog want to play uno all the time every few feet and stop and say let's play a game of uno this this goes on until you go to new york and uh then you ada is looking for her watch and she wants to use her watch which turns out to be a time traveling machine at the uh statue of liberty but they don't have that part that part of the story finished so then i went to japan where we tried to fix a watch and i think we went back in time but i haven't gotten far enough on it's 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 a all over the place and and again most of the time, you're interacting with the cat and the dog who want to play Uno all the time. Are you sure you're not confusing Uno with your D21 shot? No, man. Although there were a lot of cats in the Uno in the, in the D21 shot. And they <laughs> were, I, I thought they were cat people. I thought they were like the Thundercats. But no, they were just like really big cats that were smart. The Final Fantasy cats. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So th- I assume this Uno story is from the Uno app. Yeah, it's from the Uno app. And, it and sounds most, like an app thing. It's like one of those buttons that's on the side that I've been ignoring, and I click that. And I'm like, oh, there, there's, you know, you can only play. You have to have coins to play, and you can earn coins every day. You get a certain number they give you, and you can you can win and bet. And uh, I was out of them one day, and I saw that button. I'm like, oh, I can play this over here for a while because that one doesn't require coins. That one just gives you like. A free turn every hour, and it builds up to five and stops. You pop on this. Oh, I have five games I can play, and if I really win well, I, I win another game. So, you know, it's, it's another place I can play when I'm dicking around. So it's not the story of Uno. It's the story of cats and dogs stopping you to play Uno every now and then. Cats and dogs who are horribly addicted to Uno. Mass hysteria. <laughs> Somehow I don't think it's going to make the movie. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it, it could be anything at this point. I've also been continuing the Mythic Quest Raven's Banquet TV show that's on Apple Plus. The Office, but set in a video game developer studio. One thing that show does really well 
is send up the whole Twitter influencer group. Mm. They they have this fantastically obnoxious Twitter dude that has like four million followers by the name of Pootie Shoe. That part of the show absolutely nails that as a satire. Uh, so it's worth it just for that alone. But I really, really want to call out episode five of Mythic Quest. I don't know why this happened, but in episode five, they go away from the whole thing and tell a short movie about two people that meet and develop a game together and how that game changes over time as the game market changes. They meet in the 90s and it goes up through the 2000s, and, but also how the game market changes them. It's its own short movie, and it's great. Wow. In fact, I, when it went back to telling the Mythic Quest story, uh, one, I was like, where does this fit in? Uh, spoiler, it doesn't. And so far. two, I, I was, yeah, and, and I was sad to go back to that story because that singular little insular movie about this couple dealing with the changes of video games over time with their own baby, so to speak, was really, really compelling. Wow. I bet it comes back to it. I, I bet they, they bounce back to it somehow. I love that uh, when they do a story where they, where they tell like a side story, it's like, what the hell was that about? And they get to the end, and they're like, oh, that's the whole point of the story right there. Boom, they fix it. So if you have Apple Plus out there, all two of you, and <laughs> even if Mythic Quest hasn't appealed to you uh, either on the channel or me talking about it, seek out Episode 5, because it has nothing to do with the earlier episodes. You don't need to know anything going in. It's just a good standalone short movie. And where is that available again? That's available on Apple Plus. Yeah, <laughs> I may I may have to sign up for it because uh, I I really want to check out uh, for all mankind. So I might have to do the free trial and try to binge the first two seasons of that, and then check out Mythic Quest as well. Yeah, I haven't gotten around to that because that, that's too heavy for me right now. I, I I I'm not in. My brain is not in the market for a extended story show right now, so I need just little enjoyable bits. Well, there's a streaming service called Quibi. No, <laughs> you should have invested in that. Actually, there isn't. That was Come the joke, it. man. That, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you see, man. It's so, much oh. when it's, it's so much better when it's explained. <laughs> Commander K, what did you do this week? I started reading this book. I believe it's self-published. It's really funny now because on Kindle, they tend to blur the lines to the point where I think this is self-published. I've noticed and, that uh, lately. It's, it's, it's a book called NPCs, and it grabbed my attention because it's exactly what you think it is. Have you read it? I have read it, and I really enjoy it. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, it's it's... It's actually very funny. The initial pitch that I read was just that um, what happens with the NPCs when the player characters are not around in a game? What, what, what do they do? And I thought it might be a video game. No, it's about a tabletop role-playing game. It starts off with actual players playing in our world. Their characters get killed. So I was just like, okay, this is kind of this is, this is weird. But then the story switches over to the NPCs, who for various reasons 
are like, well, um, the characters are on some kind of mission. So we have to take over for them. So we're going to have to we're going to have to act like these people and masquerade as them. And it's like, OK. And then there's subversion of some role playing game tropes and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, OK, so that's how that kicks off. That's interesting. And then, like, I'm a quarter of the way through the book and the PCs return. <laughs> and it was just sort of like, OK, what what exactly is the writer doing here? So it's actually it's it's getting kind of it's getting kind of funky weird. I am enjoying it. It is actually a, an interesting, uh, interesting little story. Um, the writing is is not bad. Yeah, it's kind of a weird one. Something else I'm reading. Ah. <sighs> <laughs> Sometimes oh, I get my. so disappointed, you know, with with grognards and, and sword and sorcery because uh, I'm trying, you know, you think eh, anyway, there's a there's an e-zine, an e-magazine called Savage Realms. And uh, they put they're putting out like old school pulpy sword and sorcery type stories. The stories contained therein, they're they're all good. The, the writing, the prose is solid. It's technically very good, very well written. Um, you know, this is not a self-published joint. This is, this is actually well done. But that these are obvious grognards who are sort of wedded to the whole, we want the old values there. You get the characters fighting um black people in the jungle and they're calling them savages and stuff like that and it's just like this is this is what this is what this this easing's agenda is it's just the old school you know use that offensive language that woke people hate and you know and <laughs> or as we call I, it racist <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah and it's i'm just sitting there like guys you're actually doing an amazing job writing wise. It's like, why in the world would you would you want to? But you know that uh, I don't know. So I was kind of kind of disappointed. I gave my money to it, and I have mixed feelings about it because they they on every other level, the stories are good, and it, it was just that aspect of it. It was just like, really, this is what you guys want to pursue. The women are there to just be beautiful and rescued and the non-whites are there to be savages and and whatever. So I was I was I was uh, disappointed. Mm. Yikes. I just looked up the word grognard and the, uh, the definitions are in French. I mean, I found I found English ones, but the first ones are in French for some reason. Well, uh -huh. and, you know, it's funny because grognard uh, basically it's like a. Almost like a French automatopoeia for grumble. Grognard means like grumblers, which is perfect. Yeah, it is. But, you know, at least I'm reading NPCs, which the writing is not quite as solid, but it, it's, it's, it's entertaining. It's very entertaining. And I don't even know where it's going because uh, I haven't even gotten to where uh, the PCs meet the NPCs. So I'm not even there yet, Todd. So I don't know what's happening, but I expect it. I'm waiting for it to happen. And it's really funny, too, because the basically the players, the there are four PCs 
And three of those play- players are typical. Who cares? They're NPCs, you know. So they're 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 murder hobos to the limit. <laughs> and, uh, and so you like that, you like that poor guy's horse we got killed. Yeah, <laughs> even worse. <laughs> yeah, we had an incident with a, a guy's horse getting killed, and none of us really caring. Because <laughs> job of portraying him as a. Well, that was the maggot. Yeah. So there you go. <clears throat> that was the guy who didn't believe in birds. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, NPCs. All right. And going back to uh, a little bit earlier. Yes, I did watch the brand new Mortal Kombat movie. And I have to admit, I, I liked it. I didn't think I would. In fact, when it started, I, I wasn't liking it at the beginning. And, and, and I'm not going to lie, there are parts of the movie that are just dumb. Not dumb to the level that, you know, the 90s version of Mortal Kombat was. But some, there's some poor writing and, and some clonky writing where it's obvious that there's so much Chekhov's gun happening in this. Uh. If you're not familiar with the term, Chekhov's gun is if the rule of the story if you show a gun in the first act it needs to be fired by the third uh, yeah there's there's a lot of that happening at the beginning and almost but to a clunky level <laughs> like there's a, a moment where one of the characters says do do your uppercut and i'm like wow yeah that's not flashing forward at all but it won me over the movie by the end of it i was having a good time does okay. it fo- does it follow Mortal Mortal Kombat's lore? Nah, it's kind of forging its own ground, which is fine because Mortal Kombat lore is convoluted anyway. Uh, right. They've gotten better with stories since I think Mortal Kombat Nine. They finally figured out a kind of a story for it, and this harkens to some of that. So if you're really into Mortal Kombat lore, yeah, you're probably not going to ken to this all that much. But if you really want to see a bunch of Mortal Kombat characters that you've played in the video game do some hardcore, gory fatalities and make a lot of kind of in-jokes to the video game itself while still telling a semi-decent story, yeah, Mortal Kombat's a good time. So the important question is, is the music uh, catchy and, and going to be in, used in dance clubs for the next 30 years? Um, uh, there is a wonderful moment where it does harken back to that original soundtrack. Wow. I, I will, I will say that, uh, beyond that, did the music catch me? Nah, usually I don't pay all that much attention to music in movies. And that's kind of the point, I guess, of the music overall, unless it's a John Williams score, which it can't help overshadowing things sometimes. Well, well uh, Todd, I, I, unlike Andy, I actually have an important question regarding Mortal Kombat there. Wow. Uh, my question was important. Wow. <laughs> I stand by my statement. <laughs> um, wow. So, do you feel like this is a movie that is best watched on HBO Max? Or if somebody is willing to go to the theater that is vaccinated, see it in the theater? If you feel safe going to the theater, are there moments that I think would play better on the bigger screen? Yeah, yeah. There's some wide sweeping shots, especially okay. when they get to Outworld and so on. Because I, I have, it, does it, but is it necessary? No, it's okay. I, I enjoyed it on my TV at home. 
because that was my feeling when it came out. I'm like, this feels like a movie that would be better watched on HBO Max rather than to spend the money to go see it in the theater. Because I've, I've, I've started to venture a little bit back into the theaters, assuming there's not too many bookings in the theater at the time since I'm fully vaccinated now. But I'm still being cautious with the number of people that book out the theater. But I was sitting there listening to your description, and I'm like, oh, I'm wondering if this would be better seen on the big screen if you're willing to do it. It's beautifully gory. It takes a nice handful of characters across the games. So there's there's something there for everyone as far as character representation goes. I got to ask, is Johnny Cage, my boy Johnny Cage in the movie? No. I'm not, wait, I'm not going to see it. Fuck that. But if this movie does well, he will be in the next one. And there, and there's kind of a reason for it. That the there is a big surprise to this movie that this movie did not go where I thought it was going to go. This movie to me plays out as the prequel to the next movie. Wow. But, oh, okay. but but the necessary one. Now you can you can you can erase this if I'm if I'm like on the on the money here. But is is the big surprise that there's an alien that's teaching them Mortal Kombat and comes back every nine years and. and <laughs> I don't think I'll have to edit that out at all. <laughs> and is it Nick Cage that's the, the star of the show? No, he's for the next one. He plays Johnny Cage. Oh, uh, okay. Go. You know, Andy, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but that was kind of kind of funny. Give you that one. <laughs> yes. That's my score for the year. Wow, he won Matt over. I, I, don't, know how to, I don't know how to deal with that. <laughs> So definitely don't go into this movie if you're looking for something deep. Go watch Nomadland. It, but if you want just fun characters that from a video game represented on the TV screen doing things and bloody things that they did in the video game, yeah, give it a watch. All right. I need to get some popcorn and cherry Coke, so I guess I'll go to the theater and check it out. Uh, and there is a piece of mail, and it's not so spoilery a question about it that I, I do want to address. Jake wrote us in a little something. He says, okay. uh, hey, fuckers. So they decided to explain how Mortal Kombat characters have their special abilities. So which is worse, Arcana for Mortal Kombat 2021 or Midichlorians in Star Wars? Have fun, says Jake. Um, I don't know what the Arcana is, but Midichlorians is always worse. <laughs> I, I almost have to agree with that statement uh, I don't think there is so much established canon in Mortal Kombat that you can't play around with there's so many nebulous things about how that whole world works where midichlorian changed how things worked at that point like the, why, does, why does the force work? Oh, because of these microbes that certain people are born with that changed the whole idea of the force. Uh, and that's, that's less acceptable than how they did Arcana for Mortal Kombat, in my opinion. But uh, it is, your, your, yours may vary. It is weird how after episode one, they really never referenced midichlorians again throughout any of the other prequels or the uh, the newer sequels? Yeah, I, th I think that was I think that was Qui Gon's mega hat moment. Right. The for the first Star Wars movies established the Force as something that anybody can tap into if they really really wanted to try. That that Force is out there for for anyone and everyone. More people are sensitive to it, but if you really wanted to, it could be yours. 
whereas in that one, just shut that all down. Yeah. Like, no, 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 it's bugs in your system. I'm retconning <laughs> it. I'm, I'm retconning it right now. Qui-Gon was misinformed. Somebody screwed him. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but thank Six. you for writing, Jake. And uh, it, it doesn't seem like you enjoyed uh, Mortal Kombat. And I know, Jake, you're a massive Mortal Kombat fan, so I'm sure the lore is a little deeper for you than it is for me, and that makes a big difference, I'm sure. Before we go on, I want to ruin something for Andy. Okay. Uh, midichlorians are actually mentioned in Mandalorian. Um, oh, I forgot about a, that. There's a moment where the uh, the scared doctor dude who, you know, was all, I didn't hurt him. I didn't hurt him. I tried to help him. The, there's a hologram. Oh, hologram. Yeah. Uh, of him talking or recording something. And he says, uh, he's talking about Grogu. And he says his MD count is like off the scale or something like that. But MD is midichlorian so yeah i i'd completely forgotten about that or maybe i blocked it out of my memory i'm not sure which <laughs> maybe 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 grogu had been drinking mad dog 2020 and that's what they meant <laughs> and nobody should ever drink mad dog 2020 especially a child even if that child's 50 boy oh boy and here we watch andy begin the slow descent into man baby dumb <laughs> <laughs> all right 50 year old children can have my dog <laughs> and before we continue on i do want to say a hi to aaron and josh i know you're listening and i love that you are hi and that brings us on to news you don't give a shit about <laughs> right <laughs> well what voice was that Paulette, is that you? It is. I I came on here to say that Matt was not back yet. Oh, wonderful. You know what? You are a wonderful surrogate. Please stay right where you are. It's okay. not like he was contributing much anyway. Right. <laughs> oh, wait. <laughs> Paulette, what geeky things did you do this week? What did we do this week? Nothing really geeky. We watched Pacific Rim 2. <laughs> well, that's oh, geeky. That counts, yeah. That, that counts. Why didn't Matt bring that up? You watched it together, right? Yes, because we went and bought the 4K version from Best Buy and listened to it on our awesome surround sound. Oh, my word. Is it everything you wanted it to be? It's everything Matt wanted it to be. <laughs> <laughs> that son of a bitch told not us. He's doing something geeky every week. He just won't tell us. <laughs> or he just doesn't remember. You know that he's got you know the memory of a gnat. Yeah, because he says he doesn't do anything geeky this week, and he watched Pacific Rim too. He did. We did a lot of uh, backyard, like looking at stuff. Mm-hmm. That's not like really like geeky. planning for the future, kind of looking at stuff. Yes, we're waiting for our landscape plan to be done, mm-hmm. and we went to uh, Little Baja last weekend, and we went to Cactus Joe's. Has anyone ever been there? Absolutely. It was our first time going out there. That place is kind of amazing. Yeah. Lots of geeky things there. There was like dinosaurs there, like these big, huge, like metal sculptures of dinosaurs. And if I had like an acre of land, I would totally build a Jurassic Park. (laughs) Yes, please. So, okay. So for those who don't live in Vegas, uh, what is Cactus Joe's? Cactus Joe's is like a couple of acres of random shit. It's like... (laughs) Lots of Talavera tile and 
pots and metal sculptures, like big metal sculptures, like a big like saguaro cactuses, and you can buy cactuses there of all types. They even have a little pond thing going on there where you can buy like lily pads and koi fish and stuff. It's pretty interesting. I think we're going we'll end up buying like this Mayan or Aztec, I don't know. Forgive me for being I have no idea which one it is, but it's a, one of those calendars, circular calendar things. Oh, the Aztec one, yes. Mm. Yes, and it's a big one. I was on nice. the lookout for big metal doors though, because I want to use them as trellises for vines. Ah. Very nice. Yes, I'm going to try to reuse some old stuff. Matt told us you're going to plant a dogwood and a pear. What? Trees. Well, nope. I know that, but I don't know where the hell he would get dogwood and a pear from. He was stealing he it from me. He just wants to be like Andy. Yeah. Was that Andy I trying to be funny? <laughs> <laughs> yes. oh, he's bringing the funny. Now you know what we go through every week. <laughs> no, no. Now we know what we don't go through every week, you lying bastard. <laughs> I think uh, Japanese purple plums, and we're getting in the backyard, and then we're getting uh, dwarf citrus for the front courtyard area. We use the word little person citrus now. Yeah. What the hell was that? That was Meg giving it, oh. giving it to you. Yeah. Meg's got okay. something to say. She does. Okay, Matt is back. I'm going to give this. Uh, for anybody interested, uh, if they wanted to know a, a little bit about Cactus Joe's, they do have their own website, CactusJoe'sLasVegas.com. Hey, Matt, are you there? Oh, yes, I'm here. I'm here. So uh, we, we, have, we have something to talk to you about here. What? You, you lying son of a bitch. Oh, my. Are you talking about Pacific Rim, too? <laughs> <laughs> so what geeky things you do this week, Matt? <laughs> uh, I guess I watched both Pacific Rims. <laughs> oh, both! <laughs> yeah, no, both. One, both. Yeah, both. They're they're in okay. Stunning, in stunning 4K, apparently. Oh yeah, stunning 4K. Got the surround sound downstairs. Best investment, by the way. No need for a movie theater. Like Which when one's I was better. What movie theater? Oh, uh, the two movies. Uh, the the original. Obviously, the original. Uh, Pacific Rim one. All right. I guess so we're going to move back to where we were going. Let's do some news you don't give a shit about. First off, Sony has patented an artificial intelligence that learns how you play video games and then takes over the job for you while you put the controller down and watch. What? With an eye toward automating the apparently overwhelming task of playing a video game firsthand. Sony's patent application describes an artificial intelligence that observes how you play over time, then forms a profile of your unique play style that, when activated, quote, simulates human gameplay, unquote. There's only one use for that, and that's to commit a murder and, and cover it up. <laughs> alibi, alibi, Andy's that's, looking that's... for an alibi. Uh, I'm just so... seeing that there's no purpose, there's no use for that. Sony cites one use case in its application. Oh, I uh, can't quote, wait to hear this bullshit. Yeah, this is a quote from the application. For example, the AI character can proceed in automatic mode to complete specific game tasks that are difficult for the user, unquote. Uh, in oh, other no. words, fight the so boss fight for you. Sony executives are planning murder. Somebody stop these people. 
Uh, some games have tried automating some tasks themselves, uh, like uh, Final Fantasy XII's Gambit system, being one of the highest profile examples. That system involved light action scripting that let players set instructions on how each character would behave under certain conditions. Uh, Sony's idea is grander. Sony's aiming for an AI that can do the job of pretending to be you. Uh, the patent application says the system is meant to be used for, quote, specific parts of a game, uh, i.e. the parts that have you stumped. So look for that in Sony. I don't know if it's near future, but future. What happened or, to trying to beat it on your own? Like, exactly. Gamer, gamers nowadays, are too, they get handheld. Like, okay, I'll use World of Warcraft as an example. Who played World of Warcraft here? Todd, just you? I did. Okay, so you would understand this. You remember, Kirsten yeah, did, he actually, loved it. Kirsten did, and he loved it. Oh, <laughs> yeah, the uh, the 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 stable guy that kept killing you over and over again. No, that's right. Okay, but anyways, you remember back in vanilla? Wow, original Wow. You actually <laughs> had to read the quests and then figure it out. Now they point you in direction, give you an arrow, light up the map where you need to go to find this mob. It's uh, pretty pretty pathetic, actually. But everybody just zooms, wants to zoom through games, or I can't beat it, or Dark Souls 3 touched me in a bad spot, so I can't <laughs> play again. Yeah, pretty much. I'll let you continue. When does Tony plan to have these murder bots ready? There is no timetable on this. I, there's, this is a patent that they have filed. I mean, well, I can see some people getting frustrated. I can't beat this boss. I will turn on the automated system to beat it for me and then pick up the controller when it's all done. But technically, from what I understand, it's not just a system that it's learning from that particular game and then it plays that game. It watches your play style over a multitude of games and therefore can ape it on any game that you play. That is not so if something you can't you... beat something, then it can't beat something. <laughs> yeah, that you is would not think. Um, that is not something you automate. That is something you task your child with doing. <laughs> your your child, maybe. I can think of one fine example where I wouldn't mind an, an AI thing taking over for a while, and that is Minecraft, to just mine out all the, the stone and the ore and, and, and the dirt. and all this. If you just want to build, but you still want to play survival... That takes up a lot of time, and it wouldn't be, would be nice to hit a button and say, okay, go ahead and craft it. But this is Sony. Sony Microsoft owns Minecraft, so these two are not going to connect. But that's the only example I can think of where I wouldn't mind some kind of AI takeover because Minecraft mining for materials for a lot of it can get a bit boring. You have to turn on some music or a podcast or something to... To keep it going during that part. Yeah, that's, well, it, 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 I would say that actually grinding would be the, the great time for it. You know, go and find he, some herbs while I make myself a sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Here, that actually what, I could see. But again, that's what Duncan's for. <laughs> <laughs> but children are just video game AI as they are, right? Oh, no, no. He's making the sandwich. Got, oh, gotcha. Gotcha. Where I see this being 
exploited in the negative the most is there are (laughs) there are plenty of games out there that have artificial grind to them artificial grind that they want you to pay to skip it's a bad lesson that they've taken from free-to-play games where the grind is how you deal with getting the game for free but when you're paying for a $70 game and you still have a grind that is in there to be tedious so that you'll be compelled to pay to skip it, that is a nasty thing that is happening still in video games. And having this whole AI thing to do that grind for you seems like a reason to put more grind into a game. If you have an option of doing an automated piece for you, or you can just pay this money and just skip that part altogether. That way, just it's a you can skip that whole time sink. You don't have to engage your AI. You don't have to do it yourself. Pay the five dollars and skip it altogether. Uh, that's where, where I'm scared that this goes. You're not scared of the murder. You're not paying attention. No, no I am not. Murder bots. Hear my <laughs> words. Murder bots. So, well, uh, actually, yeah. no, Andy. They're not murder bots because they're not committing the murder. They're alley bots because ah, they provide the alley. That's right, the alley bots. Ah, that's uh, that's copyrightable. <laughs> that's your cover band for what? Alley bots. Uh, alley bot. Oh, it's uh, my cover for Devo. All right. <laughs> oh no no! It's uh, what's his name? Uh, crap! That weird German guy. Uh, knew me. Klaus Numi. Klaus Numi, that's it. Murder band. Yeah. Alley Bots is my Klaus Numi cover band. Okay. <laughs> Do you not know Klaus Numi? Nope. Oh. How could you not know Klaus Numi? He was on. He was. He was on Venture Brothers. Don't feel bad, Jeff. I don't know who Klaus Numi is. Or oh, no look way. up Klaus. What? <laughs> okay. What? 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 What's that? What's that, Commander K? What about Numi? Klaus Nomi. Nomi, that's Numi. it. <laughs> <laughs> look up, look him up, because he is a freak show. All right. <laughs> Jeff will get right on that. I see that. Yeah. Not right now. Not right now. I'll, we have a show. I'll get, I'll get right on not looking that up. News you don't give a shit about. Where? Sorry. <laughs> News you don't give a shit about. Richard Kelly is developing more stories that are set in the Donnie Darko universe. Kelly shared the news during a recent interview with SFX magazine saying, quote, I've been working on a lot more story that could exist in the Donnie Darko universe and has been really rewarding. I've been under a lot of pressure to deliver. A lot of people are very passionate about me returning to this world, unquote. Uh, back in 2009, there was a Donnie Darko sequel of sorts. Uh, it's called S. Darko. Centers on Donnie's younger sister, but Kelly had no involvement with that project, and that project was a stinker, so that much was obvious. Is the world clamoring for more Donnie Darko is the first question. I'd question that, too. Uh, Especially this far away from it, because it was a big deal in, what, 1999, 2000? Yeah. And even big deal is kind of a, a strange nomer. Now, in England... It was an outright sensation. It, it it did not strike in the U.S. like it did in the U.K. In the U.K., that was a massive hit, 
and still has a massive following. And I, and I got a feeling that's where a lot of this uh, uh, pressure to create this uh, more Darko is coming from. I liked the movie, but it felt very standalone. It didn't feel like a movie that had an expansive universe to build off of. As soon as you said that, I'm like, uh, okay, a sequel that's going to be stories taking place in the Donnie Darko universe? I just, I can't wrap my, my brain around that. Donnie Darko is a really good Twilight Zone episode. Yeah, exactly. I confess uh, it's one of the ones that I, it's one of my, my blank spots. I, I have it on a list of stuff to watch I keep forgetting to. I'll write it down right now. It's definitely worthwhile. If you haven't seen Donnie Darko, uh, highly recommend it. It's got enough creep and a lot of good sci-fi pedigree to it. It's, it's a thinker. I, I don't know if I could say it was a game changer at the time, but it definitely stood out amongst its contemporaries. It's almost like the last part of the last push of the independent movie craze that started in the 90s and then kind of ended in the aughts. It does a pretty good job of messing around with the whole time as a dimension sort of examination, if you will. I'm not really sure how much more to say about that, because it is fascinating the first time you watch it through, but it's also one that I didn't feel like I needed to watch a second time, if that makes sense. Like, as mm. soon as I saw it, I was like, oh, okay, everything I need to know, it's a, it's a single-watch movie for me. I know a lot of people that do watch it many times but you're killing andy oh. i'm not really even saying anything spoilery about the film <laughs> oh i see that's he's he's taking his headphones off because he doesn't want to be spoiled about the movie. Yet. It's, it's, I, it's, I wasn't it, even it, going spoiler explaining the entire plot no 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 plot was explained no. you're safe i i did no spoiler talk <laughs> I was being very careful with my words. Well, I appreciate that, but I left anyways. And I believe that it was Patrick Swayze's last movie, if I remember right. Wait, Patrick Swayze? Yes. Yeah. Why is he making any more movies? Too soon, You're kidding. Andy. You're kidding, right? You're, you're okay. <laughs> yes. Because uh, you don't give a shit about. Uh, this one's interesting, and I have to admit, being a little interested in it just because. It's somewhat fascinating. It's, it's news like, you give a fart about. Like from a schadenfreude kind of aspect? or <laughs> I'll just go right into it. Disney right. and ESPN have assembled uh -huh, for an NBA special edition event that sets up Earth's mightiest heroes, Iron Man, Captain Marvel, Black Panther, Doctor Strange, and Black Widow with courtside seats to a match between the State Warriors, Golden State Warriors, and the New Orleans Pelicans on Monday, May 3rd. That's next week. The experimental telecast called Marvel's Arena of Heroes plans to use a mixture of 3D virtual characters, animation packages, and customized graphics to weave an original story around the basketball game itself. The plot... The Avengers are looking to recruit new heroes in an effort to repel an alien invasion led by an enemy with a score to settle. Quote, recognizing the superior physical abilities, agility, and tenacity of Earth's greatest athletes, the Avengers will hold a series of contests where the winners earn the right to train and fight alongside them as Marvel's champions, 
reads the release. This sounds well, like it adds the worst elements of the Hostess uh, one-page ads, Space Jam, and 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 whatever that hologram thing was on uh, on the Grammys. Uh, continuing the release, the Avengers will begin their recruitment with the NBA elite and observe the battle between the Warriors and the Pelicans, focusing on three star players from each team. Stephen Curry, Draymond Green, and Andrew Wiggins of the Warriors and Zion Williamson, Brandon Ingram, and Lonzo Ball of the Pelicans are all up for the champion title. Quote, Marvel and ESPN have brought the worlds of sports and superheroes together for years through comics, documentaries, and other stories celebrating athletes and their extraordinary abilities. Mike Pasulio, a VP of Marketing and Communications for Marvel Entertainment, said in a statement. He continues, the new Marvel's Arena of Heroes telecast will be the first of its kind to bring Marvel storytelling directly to the real-time experience of an NBA game. And we are excited for fans to be able to watch their favorite players through the lens of Marvel's mightiest heroes. Unquote. The scoring system is as follows. You get one Marvel hero point awarded for every point, rebound, assist, steal and block and one marvel hero point will be deducted for every missed field goal free throw or turnover for those who aren't marvel fans you can watch the regular unedited version of the game on the flagship espn channel same as always but the arena of heroes version is airing on espn 2 espn plus uh ryan rook Ryan Ruoco and Richard Jefferson are set to provide up-to-the-minute commentary uh, for the comfort of a Marvel-inspired studio, while Angelique Roque, host of Marvel's Voices podcast, will also be on hand to provide expert superhero analysis. So to condense that all together, they're going to digitally put the Avengers as spectators of this basketball game awarding them points in real time to basically be the space jam of the avengers uh that's it's such a bizarre crossover i mean i i know disney is always trying to expand its viewership through the use of all of its different properties and it does, they do own espn but that just seems like the weirdest merging of two of their properties that i think i've heard of from them in a long time I'm with you, uh, Todd. I, I I don't really give a shit about this, but I kind of want to watch this train wreck to see what the hell happens. I, I do, too. I kind of want to watch to see how horrible it's going to be. <laughs> I tell you what. I went onto my uh, cable to record it, and the game is there on regular ESPN, but it is not there on ESPN2. So I don't know quite why. I don't know if it's something they haven't put in there yet since it's still happening a week away. Hmm. But it's a whole different slew of shows on ESPN2. And, of course, I don't have Plus. So, so far, I don't have a way of watching it unless that changes along the way. I'm the same way, Andy. I, I don't care about the basketball game at all. But I really want to see how this even is supposed to work. Have you checked the Ocho? <laughs> the Ocho? Wah, 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 wah. Uh, it's, uh, 
it's a Dodge, uh, dodgeball. dodgeball the under, you know underdog story joke. The dodgeball stories are broadcast on on, on ESPN eight. ESPN eight, the Ocho. I gotcha. They okay. do every year. They they do a um they do a segment on uh, I think it's on ESPN two where they they redub it the Ocho and they basically play a lot of crazy weird sports like would have been you know presented in the movie. They do it as kind of a lark, like once a year. It's an odd experience, I guess, an odd choice of an experience. Right. And and its oddity is what brings me to it. Of course, Marvel aspect brings me to it, but having Ms. Marvel and... Give me the list I, of heroes again. I, I'm wondering if this is... Disney's always trying to test out new technology in different ways. And I'm wondering if this is like a test case for something bigger that they have in mind. They're trying to see if they can work out the kinks for something else. The heroes they have are Iron Man, Captain Marvel, Black Panther, Doctor Strange, and Black Widow. I'm there for Doctor Strange. Yeah. He's one of my favorites. I like himself a little strange. Ain't that the truth. And so maybe this is the way to finally get me to watch some sports. Mm -hmm. Sticking superheroes in it. It could be an attempt to do that as well. You might be you might be onto something there. I mean, I don't think that sports suffers so much as like, how do we get more people to watch the basketball well, games? I, I don't well, think that's really a problem, well, is it? Yeah, you'd be actually, you'd be surprised. Yeah. There's a lot of Fairweather fans, especially when your team is doing shit like Golden State right now. Their their viewership is way down. Uh, and and to to expand on what Matt just said. Uh, all of the professional sports leagues have noticed that the teenage to 20-something demographics, viewership for professional sports has gone way down ah. over the last five years. NBA is being now watched more by people in their 30s, 40s, and above. I mean, in fact, uh, the NFL this last year did a lot of stuff with Nickelodeon trying to attract younger crowds into watching football because they're trying to get that next generation of NFL fan in. Um, MLB hasn't done anything like that that I'm aware of, but I know basketball, they've been trying to do stuff like that as well. Maybe this is an attempt to do that uh, by working with Disney on something that might bring in a younger crowd. So this is the Joe Joe Camel gambit here? (laughs) I don't know. It's just all speculation on my part, Andy. I, I, I have nothing to base this on other than just the uh, the television ratings that uh, and uh, the demographics that are attracting uh, sports viewership. Well, this is definitely, when you're trying to explain the news you don't give a shit to people, this is a clip to play. Because <laughs> we, I hate the idea, but I kind of want to watch, you know? It's just... Right, it's that, it's that train wreck thing, man. I want—I can't turn away from the car accident. And, not, and that's on the court. Not—not not to mention the 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 heroes in the stands. In the stands, <laughs> hey <Hey-o. laughs> oh. Let's do some weekend geek. Yay! Woo-hoo. We're just now getting there. Holy yeah. shit! It's your fault about lying about the uh, the uh, the uh... not doing anything geeky this week. Thank you. Good story, Andy. Good story. Thank you. You're no Barry.
Uh, sometimes you have to bang on Andy a little bit to to get him out of the uh, stutter no, moment. No, what, what? no, you don't. You don't have to bang on anything Andy related. <laughs> okay. No. Please, a little bit. <laughs> so lonely. So lonely. There's a Sasquatch out your window right there. He's gonna grab you. <laughs> uh, that's why I'm Squatch Andy. In a new deal, Sony and Disney have struck an accord that will bring Spidey and a lot of other Sony-backed characters, Marvel and otherwise, over to Disney's streaming murder? offerings. This is, this is Sony with the, with the, uh, the murder stuff again? No, no. This, this is Sony doing basically the same deal that Netflix got last week. Oh. Right. And it's funny that you're talking about it this week because I remember the, the day after we recorded the podcast, I read that story, and I'm like, well, that's interesting. We just talked about this as far as Netflix, and now they're doing that with uh, Disney+. Plus. Disney and Sony jointly announced the move as a platform agnostic agreement that will clear the path for Sony's stable of Marvel characters, as well as other Sony-supported franchises like Jumanji and Hotel Transylvania to appear on Disney+, Plus and other platforms once their terms on, both, on screens, both big and small, have run their first course. The deal is set to take effect for theatrical releases from 2022 to 2026. Crucially, though, it also grants Disney library access to previously released Sony picture titles, which is another way of saying that the upcoming Spider-Man No Way Home, set to release on December 17th of this year, still seems eligible to appear at Disney Plus under the terms of the new agreement. The multi-year deal gives Disney the U.S. streaming and television rights for Sony Pictures' new movie releases, quote, across Disney media and entertainment distribution's vast portfolio of platforms, including its streaming services Disney Plus and Hulu, as well as linear entertainment networks, including ABC, Disney Channels, Freeform, FX, and National Geographic, according to the press release. Where are Sony's Super Marvel stuff streaming now? Well, as of last week, it was going to be sent to Netflix. Okay. That's where the agreement was. And we've said then, you know, just you know, watch this space because Disney is going to get involved in this somehow. And right. here's that involvement. All right. Yep. The deal comes only two weeks after Sony cleared a similar path with for its theatrical releases to show up in the future of Netflix. It wasn't all that long ago. Disney and Sony seem to be heading in opposite directions when it came to giving MCU viewers access to Spider-Man films. Back in August of 2019, not long after Disney acquired its Marvel properties through the Fox acquisition, the two companies temporarily reached an impasse in allowing Disney the rights to any future Sony-produced Spider-Man films. The new Accord allows Disney to stream Sony Pictures content following each Sony film's pay-one-TV window which serves as the first paid landing spot for post-theatrical movies. And it also gives Disney, through Disney+, Plus, Hulu, and other small-screen networks, quote, enormous programming potential across its platforms and makes them key destinations for robust collection of Spider-Man films, the release states. Notably, agreement provides Hulu access to a significant number of library titles beginning as early as this June. The companies haven't revealed which Sony titles might be heading to Hulu this summer. Watch this space again. Yes. So basically, Disney said, you know that the library you have, Sony? We'll take that, too. But we'll pay you for it instead of just buying Sony. It makes sense the way that 
that Disney does the Disney Plus lout that they would want to have when you go into the the Marvel tab um, on whatever platform you're viewing Disney Plus on and have the Spider-Man films in there. But it's fascinating that they did a more expansive thing, and it sounds like to bring all these other Sony pictures that they can put on Hulu and uh, you know expand their library, so or, or access of their library. So yeah, cool. Netflix announced that a Terminator anime is coming to Netflix by way of Mattson Tomlin, the screenwriter known for Project Power, and Matt Reeves' The Batman. Tomlin will serve as executive producer and showrunner of the adaptation, which will be co-produced by Skydance, the current owner of the franchise rights, and Production IG, that's the group behind Ghost in the Shell, uh, SAC 2045. James Cameron and Gail Ann Hurd began the Terminator series back in 1984, the story of a robot assassin sent to the past in order to murder the threat to machine uprising, and the movie was an overnight success. The Terminator and its direct sequel, Terminator 2 Judgment Day in 1991, are both considered cinematic masterpieces. The most recent big-screen installment, Terminator Dark Fate, attempted a soft reboot with James Cameron working as an executive producer. Uh, Directed by Tim Miller, uh, the 2019 release was positively received, but ended up being a box office disappointment. Despite so many critical and financial flops, the combined box office draw of all six terminator features is just a hair over two billion dollars and now we've got a terminator anime i can get behind that yeah yeah, i am all for a new terminator and anime seems an interesting place to tell it maybe they can finish off the tv show um that's i think that's just plain abandoned they'll they'll, they'll never finish (laughs) off an old thing like that although being anime i got a feeling it's going to be a future war kind of thing but I mean, they can go pretty much anywhere with it. So I'm I'm fascinated to see what they do with it. Kirsten, you seem uh, pretty satisfied by the prospect of a future war. Yes, anime. I think uh, you know Terminator is a uh, is a franchise that has possibilities. I actually enjoyed the the latest Terminator films, plural, more than most people did. I think that anime is actually a really, it's actually a perfect place for it. So, and um, unlike you, apparently, I, uh, a future war thing actually sounds kind of cool. Personally, I think Terminator, what, what the, the one thing about Dark Fate that um, I felt probably was a mistake is, Returning to yet again another attempt by Skynet or some other iteration of taking over the world. And it would have been cool if they just riffed on the the whole... There's, there's a bunch of Terminators that keep fucking popping up. Um, and Sarah Connor has got to run around the world killing them. And because she stopped Judgment Day, nobody believes, you know, they still think she's a mass murdering maniac. And, you know, she's got to she's got to kill these Terminators that keep popping up out of nowhere, as opposed to constantly preparing for, you know, Judgment Day, Judgment Day. Oh, another Judgment Day. 
Otherwise, do a future war thing where the war is actually happening. I wouldn't quite go in the direction of salvation, although I think you need to give props to salvation because it tried something different, which was, I think, uh, a good attempt. Well, I think was a, a well-intentioned attempt. Do something different. Let, let's play around with this. And, and for me, it was the humans had too much technology. You really wanted them uh, in, the, in the rubble fighting fighting hard and they they kind of they kind of succumb to you know wouldn't it be cool and threw in a mm -hmm. whole bunch of shit that that you know what i mean andy so you, it's you, just, you'd rather have them fighting off the terminators of the rebar clubs well the um the 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 opening the op the you know reese's flashback in terminator one the uh, opening of, say, Terminator 2, I think, go with, go with that angle rather than giving them helicopters and giving them A-10s and stuff like that. But You don't want to go for the whole Ewok attack thing where, where it's all traps for the uh, Terminators Just and stuff. destroy Terminators with, with, with rolling logs and, and fly around on skin, skin kites uh, <laughs> throwing rocks. That's, that's what you want to do. Yeah, and uh, I... And I lasers god damn it i want my fucking lasers yeah and I, uh, I i also think that you know you don't always have to keep coming back to arnold as the terminator i mean clearly arnold is just one model of terminator and if he's an 800 series where are all the other series that came before or after him yes we've seen a few of them but it does feel like they could expand on that a lot especially well, the in the anime is that Arnold's a great presence. Um, sure. I personally think that uh, even in the latest one, he, he actually did a good job. And, and, and it was good having him there. So sure. um, I, I, think, I think that one thing you run into is, well, who's going to replace Arnold? And I don't know, maybe they shouldn't do that. I mean, maybe, you know, throw, throw a couple of different series of Terminators. One of the coolest moments, remember the moment in the uh, Amelia Clark when, the, when the, the T-1000 shows up, but then he also, like, he, he dripped a little bit of his uh, stuff into the shot-up T-800, and it, like, sprang up and went back to work. Right. Get a whole bunch of different things going on there as opposed to finding that one Terminator antagonist. I, I don't know. Um, don't don't try to replace Arnold. In many ways, he's uh, he is the the um, the heart and soul of the Terminator franchise. So either use him or concede that you're not using him and and just just get a whole bunch of don't try to replace him who will be the new face of the terminators you know don't do that i really enjoyed the flashback to the future moments of dark fate i, I like dark fate overall it's definitely been my favorite of the post two sequels uh but those flashback scenes were beautifully conceived beautifully shot and edited and i did want to see more of that world and it's the first time I felt that way that I want to see more of that world, frankly, since the second Terminator. Yeah, let's do it. And in anime, and give them lasers. I want my <laughs> freaking lasers.
<laughs> you know what the you know what the first step towards creating Terminators is? Alabots. <laughs> Sony, damn it. And experiments on board the Mars Perseverance rover designed to produce breathable oxygen from carbon dioxide has been switched on and is working. On April 20th, it produced five grams of oxygen. Not a huge amount, but it's designed to make as much as 10 grams per hour. And this is the very first time oxygen has been converted from native air on another planet. The device is called MOXIE. The Mars Oxygen in Situ Resource Utilization Experiments. The atmosphere of Mars is more than 95% carbon dioxide. The rest is argon and trace gases. And each molecule of carbon dioxide has two atoms of oxygen. MOXIE works by drawing CO2 from the air and using electricity to crack the molecules, creating carbon monoxide and oxygen molecules. It has an onboard sensor to check the purity of the O2 created and then vents it back out into the atmosphere. The first amount it made, 5 grams, is enough for about 10 minutes worth of breathing for a single person. Oh, I'm glad Mox- you went there. That was my, 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 my first question was going to be, how much can you breathe of that? Okay. Moxie will be used many more times over the next Martian year under different conditions to make sure it works well at different times of day and year. Uh, Mars has seasons and temperature swings quite a bit over the course of a day and year, depending on location. So it's important to see how Moxie behaves under these circumstances. And of course, this is all just proof of concept stuff to prove that this stuff can work. And of course, it's not for full terraforming of a planet. It's so that there can be a settlement, a standalone smaller area of Mars that can produce its own oxygen. Right. So it can grow poop potatoes. Yes, poop potato time. Or save Mars, Wade. Save <laughs> Mars. That, that is Wade. the first place my brain went Wade. after. Wade. Save Mars. <laughs> Cohagen's rolling over in his Martian grave right now. Free air? Not on my watch! <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, quite a uh, leap forward in planetization for mankind. I was remember reading about that, that device years ago when they were experimenting with it and i think if i remember correctly the next step that they're trying to solve is doing some kind of a carbon capture so that they're not just venting the carbon monoxide out into the atmosphere uh so that eventually you could have uh much more breathable oxygen instead of just you know essentially one oxi- uh one molecule of oxygen and then one molecule of carbon monoxide so um, so presumably yeah. you could make a dome on Mars and, and set one of these machines up it and pump it full of this this terraformed air, but the yes. air would smell like a bumper car? Essentially, yes. Okay. Well, they would they would vent the carbon monoxide out of the dome, so you would just be getting the breathable oxygen inside the dome. Right, but I mean you're in a bumper car, you can just smell that you can smell that ozone burning. Oh, the electrical cracking. Ozone's a whole separate thing, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. But when, but that's the, the you can smell. That's the smell of electricity is cracking across stuff. It's like, I guess that's a different process. All right. Yeah, I'm I'm guessing this is a different process than how bumper cars work. Yes, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> can you imagine if Andy was in that lab right now? <laughs> the, the, the the scientists would be like, I don't even know where to begin on that one. Um. <laughs> Uh, 
If bumper right. cars work, though, if bumper cars work, that would kill two birds with one stone. You just run, run bumper cars across the planet and you got all the air you need. Yes, that's what you want. Sparking electricity in a room full of O2. (laughs) (laughs) My friends, this is where we come to the point that if you do not want to be spoiled about Falcon and the Winter Soldier, this is your time to depart. But come back and join us once you have seen the show and want to uh, uh, hear our thoughts about it. So... This is it. This is spoiler talk. You have been warned. So All I right. Guess this is I where will. We... Uh, yeah. Oh, you're gonna you're gonna go into that. Okay. I'm I'm just I'm saying, Matt. This is the time for you to depart. Uh, so thank you for joining us for the show this time. Yep. And, and we're back next week with silky smooth sounding voice yet again. Yeah, man. <laughs> I look I... forward to hearing what you have to say about the show when you see it. The smooth, silky sounds of Matt FM. And I love that Paulette laugh in the background. (laughs) (laughs) All right, gentlemen. See you next week. Sayonara, sir. Take care. All right. Open table. Thought he'd never leave. (laughs) (laughs) It is time to talk Falcon and the Winter Snowman. Gentlemen, uh, (laughs) what did you think? Uh, you know, you know what, uh, and Andy, you've been champing at the bit. Did you, say that, in, did you say that intentionally? Yes, I did. Okay, but... thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> Very kind of you. Yes, I have been champing at the bit. I just, it was so much deeper and and more well thought out uh, than well any of the DC crap. Um, it made me ask questions. It made me. Uh, Rethink my priorities and stuff. It's like, wow, this is this is this is heady stuff. Like, like what specifically? What? Uh... All the political stuff at the end. All the all the. Uh, it, it made me want to be more politically active. It made me want to, you know, write some letters to my congressman. It made me want to. You know, wow. I felt all that. I mean, all the stuff he's espousing in that wonderful speech, I agree with. But now I kind of want to be more active in in agreeing with that. You now, do some actual actions instead of just being a decent person. I appreciated that moment. Uh, the music made it even more full of gravitas in the moment. It was a little bit Mr. Smith goes to Washington. The, the, the common man telling the political guys they need to do better. Mm-hmm. Literally, that's what he said to them. The, the issue that I have with it is, is kind of the issue that I do have overall with the show. And again, I like the show. I enjoyed the show. I think it suffered from being a week apart every episode. Yeah, because I started to feel disconnected from the show, I think, because of it and the larger story. And that's the the issue I'm coming back to is that I think the A story, this story about this group of terrorists uh, that are doing what they think is the right thing. Was really nebulous Mm. overall. I know it had to do with uh, resettlements. with the Sokovia Accords, and it had to do with resettling the people from the snap. You know, people took over people's houses and whatnot. But I didn't get specifically why they were so put out. What what was the factors the that made it that, personal to them? The people that came back from the snap, which was houses were taken over, became refugees. So everybody that disappeared for five years, not only disappeared for five years, but suddenly for them, 
they were suddenly out of their house. There was no transition for them. There was no five years. They were they were there one minute. The next minute, there were people living in their house who'd been there for five years, and now they're living in a tent somewhere. The, I the think people the that survived the blip were the ones that were becoming the refugees, essentially. That they were being displaced from the places that they had been living for for five years because oh, yeah, people other way came around. Back. Sorry, other way around. I, I, I messed that up. No, but, but I mean, you were on to the right thing. You just had it flipped. So, yeah. yeah. So the flag smashers wanted to return to what they had. But I think Andy getting that flipped around kind of speaks to Todd's point. Yes. Of it, it wasn't really solid and you didn't get a solid impression of what it was like to be one of those refugees. Yeah, we got hints of it, but we didn't get a full backstory on why Carly was, I mean, she talked a little bit about it, but she didn't get a real deep backstory on why she, you know, took up arms against the GPR. I mm. think the show would have been better served if we GRP. just saw one example, and it probably would have been Carly best story-wise for this to happen. Like a flashback to that moment of dealing with coming back from it, going to the home or whomever and, or vice versa. And someone else being there just to make it personal as to why these people were fighting, because it just felt nebulous. And I was supposed to, and that last speech showed that I was supposed to connect with them in some way. And they kept trying to tell me that they were some kind of figure that I'm supposed to feel for, for their position without demonstrating why I should care for their position when they're obviously terrorists. I mean, even, even the, the end, he's like, don't call them terrorists in that big speech. I'm like, fuck, they're terrorists. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what they were. They, they had a political uh, ideology and they did violence in order to put it forward. You, you, you're right on with the, uh, the screen rant uh, uh, pitch meeting. On, he's like, oh, yeah? but, but they are, because they, they actually bring that point up in the, uh, the pitch meeting. He goes, but they are, by very definition, terrorists. He's like, no, they're not. He's like, yes, they are. He's like, no, because I, I need them to not be terrorists. Or There's something. already a pitch meeting for this? Man, oh, yeah. It, 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 uh, it was either up late last. I, I saw it when I got home from work last night, so I don't know if they posted it. Yesterday, it like yeah, it was real recent. Wow, I know what I'll be doing after the show. But yeah. uh, it, it they they bring up a lot of your your qualms there, uh, Todd, in the in the pitch meeting. And uh, at the end of the day, I I think the the major issue is that yeah, the A storyline was supplanted by the storyline of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier and how they're dealing in the post blip world and you know looking at their own individual stories. And then suddenly they're have to, they to kind of put those on hold a little bit to go track down the these these flag smashers. It know? seemed to have so much story that it wanted to tell, and and I agree there is a good complex story in there, but it tried so hard to make me want to connect with these terrorists, the flag smashers, uh, but never successfully did it. So now, at I, the end, at the end, when they were you know getting captured and and the fights and so on, uh, I'm like like yeah, arrest them. And then but when he they stand up for he stands up for what they you got to listen to them too. I'm like, show me that, show me that in the show. Why why I should listen to them? Right. And, I mean I mean yeah. they're in part a stand in for the Palestinians. 
I, I get that, and I get it that it's also for the you know the refugees that went up into Europe, the Syrian refugees. Too. That I, I that that was easy to connect. And at first, that's how I saw them. I'm like, okay, they're telling the the Syrian story, uh, but they're just changing the name and and the people from it to to make it more connectable. And it, it took me a moment to go, oh no, this is a refugee thing from the blip because it was so on the nose with that. Mm. That, I'm wondering if it was hurt by the fact that it is only six episodes. They were one of the most affected Disney Plus series by the COVID restrictions and shutdowns. Oh, that makes whether, sense. Because six, six seems short. Whether there was plans for more episodes and more of an expansion on the Flag Smasher storyline, I don't know. Feige basically said, he was like, well, it's only going to be six episodes. It's Six episodes is all you're going to get. So I don't know if that was always going to be six, if it had planned on being more, because we know that uh, WandaVision was also truncated. I do also feel like it is hurt because of the storytelling style. WandaVision essentially ended on little mini cliffhangers every week that made you go, oh my God, now I need to know how this gets resolved. Whereas the storytelling style for Falcon and the Winter Soldier didn't have that storytelling element See that and makes I, that makes me think that it was like eight or nine episodes, yeah. And because they had to truncate it, they put their cliffhangers in the wrong spot, so I had to retell it differently. Because my point of view, having finally watched all six episodes, is that it felt more that it would have been it would have benefited by being you know maybe say two episodes a week or or having the whole thing able to stream from beginning to end. Um, now that's how you watched it, Kay. What's your your feeling on that? I don't know if I um, if I have anything to add to that. I, I I liked being able to watch it straight through. I watched three episodes on Saturday and then three on Sunday, and I wasn't driven like Andy had commented. I wasn't driven to watch each episode immediately. I did it to finish mostly for this show, also because I was interested. I was enjoying it. I did enjoy it. I was enjoying the stuff with Zemo more than I was Carly Morgenthau, although I liked the actress playing Carly, and I thought that there was stuff there. I read an interesting comment uh, from the Mary Sue, which was exhibited some frustration with the portrayal of revolutionaries. Because it was like, what if Carly tried harder to avoid killing people? Because, you know, they, she had that, I don't want to kill the people who aren't involved. But what if she wasn't, you know, she tried harder to not kill anybody. And they were still, you know, really hotspot danger because they were super soldiers. And that could have introduced more moral conflict. It made right. it tougher to sympathize with her at all. It was like Sam. Sam was like. I'm I'm totally on your side and I understand how you feel, but I don't approve of how you're doing this. And it's it's just like, yeah, no, I don't. I mean, you're going to kill people, so people are going to kill you. I mean, that, that that's going to end up happening if you're not careful. And she ended up getting killed. And the whole thing was, it, I think it got kind of muddled. Yeah. There were a lot of parallels to modern stuff. 
what's going on in Syria. If you dig deep enough, you can actually see uh, the Palestinian question deep in this. Mm -hmm. I don't think it did enough to make you feel that Carly Morgenthal had her heart in the right place, but was going about it wrong. It would have been nice if you could have seen where she went wrong in this. And I myself was not terribly impressed with the speech at the end. One of the things that I, I, I've come to conclude that I have a problem with a lot of those is the idea that a senator or any kind of big time political person has not had that kind of speech thrown at him. And these people go around, they do open forums, and there are people that stand up and say this stuff. It, you know, the, the, someone telling a big government person you have to do better, I mean, the mere thought that you just need to tell them that for them to do better, I think, is wrong. It, it, there's a lot of things that go behind their reasoning, and I'm not saying that to approve of government, but rather to say the obstacles we as common folk have to overcome to get government to actually do what we need them to do it's more than just us getting in their face mm-hmm. and well, that's one of the problems i had with that now i i agree with most of what you just said there kirsten i think the difference in this particular instance is you now have a senator and other members of this uh, repatriation council that are being confronted by Captain America and not only a Captain America, a new Captain America, a person of color is confronting them. So somebody with some stature as opposed to a general citizen standing up and saying, Senator, you need to do better. So mm-hmm. you have a symbol that is confronting somebody of power and saying, everybody's now watching you. So mm-hmm. not only do you have to do better, you literally have to start making some changes because I mean, now we're all watching you as opposed to, okay, yeah, somebody confronted me, said I have to do better. Um, now I'm going to go back to my normal everyday routine of just doing what's in my own best interest. They threw in so much stuff, too. I mean, you mentioned the, the black Captain America. Yes. That's a whole like five or six issue miniseries that they sort of shoved in between the cracks there. Um, uh, I will definitely say, um, the tr- thing is me the personally, I actually was more enamored with the C storyline, with the Isaiah Bradley storyline, mm-hmm. than the A storyline with the Flag Smashers. And we got a lot less scenes of that with the Isaiah St- Bradley storyline, but there was more content in those short scenes that we got. So, like, the interactions with Sam and Isaiah, where Isaiah finally starts opening up about the things that happened to him and, you know, so forth. And then, of course, that final scene at the end where he takes him through the, you know, the Smithsonian exhibit and shows him the bronze statue. I love Carl Lumby anyway. He's, he's such an amazing actor. But you could literally see the almost slight washing away of the anguish. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. he's being recognized for what he went through as being experimented on and been given that super soldier serum without really knowing what it was all about. And when he reached up and hugged Sam, that was some of the most realistic emotional portrayal I've seen in a while. 
So, yeah. like I said, I really loved that C storyline, and I yeah. felt like that should have been yeah. The, the mini series the mini series is called The Truth, Red, White, and Black. It's seven issues. Five bet that's been pulled into a graphic novel. They put together a yeah. bunch of different stories, and so it wasn't just an A, B, and C storyline. There was just many storylines going on from many different sources. Uh, so again, probably they shoved too much in what was supposed to be something that was supposed to be longer. And it's really only the A storyline that I had an issue with. I liked the other yeah. stuff. I liked the stuff with the U.S. agent. I thought that was really interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I love the Isaiah stuff. I like the stuff with Falcon's family and, and dealing with the boat stuff. Right. I, I, I liked those, those intimate personal moments where you're seeing characters change and characters changing one another. Uh, what I didn't see is that change happen to Bucky where Bucky is this at the beginning and then he was something different at the end. I didn't see that arc happened. I know that it happened because he went from taking the old guy out and being his friend and being afraid to tell him what ha- happened to his son to I'm the guy that murdered your son, even though we didn't see the aftermath of that at all. That was weird. Um, that was a cop out. They uh, blinked. I think yeah. they blinked on that. one. Yeah. Yeah, but there, there was obviously an arc there that I never saw happen in the show. I, I think a lot of the change you saw in Bucky was in his relationship with Sam. And I, I think that's kind of where you're supposed to be. Sam's arc was as, as he bounced off of Sam. And you know, they, were, they were very, I mean, it's buddy movie stuff. I mean, they're very prickly at the beginning. But it's not really Sam as being prickly so much. It, it's yeah. Bucky. And, and, and I think you're supposed to see his change and arc through that and assume that it Relies to every, relates to everything. I mean, it's it's funny because they hinted at it with the the conversation between Sam and and Bucky, where he says he's like, "You're not doing the work." He's like, "You're avenging. You're not coming to terms with these things. You're not actually confessing the things with these people." And then I felt like there was more that they could have shown other than just the scene that we just talked about with the. Uh, you know, where he admits that he murdered the guy's son. So, it's, yeah, it seems like they should have shown more of him actually doing the work once he finally realized that his approach was completely wrong in him trying to make amends. He was, he was as Sam said, he's, you're avenging, you're not making yeah. actual amends. Yeah, a lot of stuff is obviously supposed to happen off the camera, off the page. And, and yeah. Well, we okay, had to make, he we had handed to make him some... that book with all the names crossed off. So, yeah, so, yeah we, we, we a lost a whole leap. episode full of stuff. Yeah, at least the the Falcon arc is complete. Sam's arc is there, and it's interesting just watching him not only become comfortable with the idea of becoming Captain American, but Captain America, but who he is as Captain America and what he's going to represent. I right. really liked that arc. It was good. Yeah, yeah. I like the oh. USA. I like the U.S. Asian arc of not being able to handle that mantle, the opposite end of that. It's, it's something we knew was going to happen. Uh, but that moment when he brutally kills the guy, it, that was the moment in the show. I'm like, okay, fuck, where's this go from here? Where, where, where does his arc go? And, and that kind of tapered off in a weird way too. At that point, there's like, I wanted to see a little more of that. It, and you're right. It's just that they condensed too much in a too small of a place for all the story they wanted to tell. Mm-hmm. And, I think that if you're going to call it the Falcon and Winter Soldier, Winter Soldier needs his arc too. Otherwise, just call it the Falcon and have Winter Soldier as a guest star. 
on on the plus side, uh, Sam fighting as Captain America slash Falcon was incredibly cool. Wonderful. I, I, lo- I love the bit where he where where he's digs in with the wings to hold back. He's he's got the shield up and he's got the wings dug in. They've got the action scenes down. The action yeah. scenes in that show were great. Mm-hmm. That, that, there was no, there's no qualm with that. Mm-hmm. And again, mo- the, the, the B story, the C story, the ones where the Zemo story, all the stuff where there's personal interaction and you can see characters thinking about what they're saying and changing because of what's happening around them. That was the interesting part. Uh, but the Agent Carter stuff, I don't think was necessary. Yeah, it was, it was obvious that that she was the power broker from the moment yeah. she stepped on, I, and I so was, it's like, why are you why are you doing this big? Who's the power broker? It's you. You're the one making all these things happen. You you obviously have the power, mm-hmm. and she she's been kind of a a, neb, a a figure of odd ill intent in the movies thus far, not showing people the best way forward, but a very not greedy way forward, for lack of a better word, of our self interested way forward. Mm-hmm. Her her reveal as a self-interested power, not necessarily a bad guy, not a big surprise, and didn't really add much to the story. You could have taken out all the power broker stuff and fixed all this other stuff and still kept yeah. it at six episodes. You I didn't was... have to go to Madripoor. Why are you going to Madripoor if you're not doing X-Men stuff anyway? Mm-hmm. I, yeah, that was really my only disappointment with the, the series was the, the the Agent Carter power broker stuff because it's like it was so anticlimactic. It's like at no point did you go, well, maybe she's not the power broker. It was literally <laughs> ham fisted foreshadowing that it was it was uh, well they actually it's funny, they do cover that in the uh, the pitch meeting, which you guys haven't seen yet. But Damn. it's almost everything we're talking about here uh, is in that pitch meeting and it's so well done because it's just like in the in the pitch meeting, he's like, "She's the power broker." He's like, "No, she isn't." Yeah, she is. No, she isn't. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. mean, it just it's you, you got to watch it when you're done with this. Yeah, but absolutely, yeah, will. I'll probably do exactly that. Yeah, but yeah, I, I that storyline, I was just like, "Come on, it's it's so goddamn obvious." And like at a certain point during the series, I'm like, "How do Sam and Bucky not know that she's the power broker?" Because it's so goddamn obvious to everyone. In fact. I even think Zemo probably knew. Oh, he did. Prior Zemo, to him going to the raft. Yeah, Zemo definitely knew. In fact, that's what I was about to say. I was talking about. Zemo is so much more rounded and so much more interested in this than interesting in this than he was in his appearance in the movie. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, when I saw him in the movie, I'm like, okay, that's enough Zemo. I've, I've seen all the Zemo I need to see. And after this, I'm like, let's bring Zemo back as a villain, or or at least a background character in more movies, because he is fascinating now. He's he's complicated. It's yeah, yeah. It's it makes him interesting, and I can't wait till they do Thunderbolts. And he's he's one with a fascinating sense of you agree with his goal, but his methods are completely wrong. Like there shouldn't be super soldiers because nobody can mentally or physically handle the strain. Except at one point he admits that Steve Rogers was the one person that he felt like was the exception to that rule, and he and and his belief is reinforced reinforced by the Carly Morgenthau and uh, and her her minions' reaction to everything they do when they you know go into battle. So I, Zemo, I just Zemo's, 
Zemo's got a little red redding thing going on. There's a little blacklist going on there. He's got some creepiness going on, but he's also thinking ahead. And the end there where the uh, super soldiers get blown up did completely take me by surprise. And when it cut to Zemo, like, of course. Why did I not see that? Of course that's what's going to happen. I did like how the, the whole stuff with U.S. agent is completely reinforces uh, from Captain America, the first Avenger, why they went through such a rigorous screening process before he, uh, uh, Dr. What's-His-Name, uh, decided on Steve Erskine. Rogers. Yeah, Dr. Erskine. Dr. Erskine decided on Steve Rogers to be the one, and everybody's like, why did you pick him? This doesn't make any sense. Because when you see his fragile mental state, Walker, when you see him in all the scenes where he's not in the suit and trying to be the symbol, you see how fragile his mental state is. And, and you see that he probably has PTSD and there are other issues that would definitely preclude somebody from getting the super soldier serum. And tip of the hat to Russell for acting it so well that everybody hated him. Yes, absolutely. Wyatt Russell did an amazing job. Yeah. I did not realize that was... Uh... Uh, Kurt Russell's kid until I saw it somewhere in an article. I'm like, oh, yeah, he does. Yeah, okay. <laughs> well, he's he's only been in a few things, and a lot of them, he's he's spent a lot of his young career trying not necessarily to distance himself from his father, but establish himself on his own as opposed to leaning on the family name. Well, well done. So going forward, what do we have? Well, we have a new Captain America. We have Madam Hydra. And Julia uh, Louise Dreyfus. Mm-hmm. We have U.S. Agent. So this is an important show to watch, right? For the continuation of the MCU. Much, much in the same way, WandaVision gives us Monica Rambeau. Mm-hmm. Right. There is one piece of news that I could not cover in the beginning of the show because it is a bit of a spoiler for the show itself but uh so we'll finish the podcast with this piece of news anthony mackie is expected to once again take flight as the marvel cinematics marvel cinematic universe's new captain america in a fourth feature film centered on captain america good uh, malcolm spellman held head writer of the falcon and winter soldier has been hired to pen the script along with another member of the show's writing staff a guy named dallin Buson. Uh, the Falcon and Winter Soldier wrapped up with its sixth episode, of course, this last Friday. Deadline asserts that Captain America 4 is separate from Chris Evans' rumored return as Steve Rogers. Evans, however, previously denied the reports that first broke in late January. Uh, the show, uh, Falcon Winter Soldier, currently holds a 86% rating on Rotten Tomatoes and has beat out The Mandalorian for the most-watched series premiere on the Disney Plus streaming service. The next Captain America movie has been announced, and of course, it's going to be uh, Mackey. Yeah, and he'll be great because he was great yeah. in this. Yeah, I, I. And I guess that was probably why his is a story that resolves so well, is because that wasn't focused. That's the one that's actually going to a project right away. So makes sense. Anyth- anything that had to get left on the side when they, when we, as we're assuming, things got truncated. It's like make sure we keep the Captain America story solid. You can let the other stuff slide a little bit, but we can't lose any of that. Did they explain where the funding came for the boat in the end, or we just have to assume that now these Captain America can get the loan or something? Uh, well, it just seemed that he started making phone calls to family friends as soon as they heard that they were in trouble. 
they all came together and helped him out with spare parts. Uh, so it wasn't necessarily monetary funding, but funding of time. Yeah, and, but that was that was and that help. was funding it. That was funding and 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 help to get it ready to sell. And it didn't seem like they were selling it at the end. It seemed like they were going to go on to the business again. Yeah, it did yeah. seem like that. Yeah, old school crowdfunding. Mm. Yeah, it's like I may not have money, but I can give you a few hours of my time. And oh, I well, I have this thing I can't use anymore. Will this help you? A little stone soup going on. Something like that. Yeah. Good show. Not great. Yeah. Some really neat moments, mm-hmm. some really neat characters, and some under fleshed out characters and ideas in the show. It it obviously had a grand idea. It just either didn't have the time to tell the story or the uh, ability to tell the story. And one one of those, mm-hmm. it was either underwritten or they just didn't have time. And it was on the cutting room floor. They couldn't shoot it. I definitely feel like it could have benefited from one or two or, or two or three more episodes. If our theory is right and they truncated it because of, you know, COVID and whatnot, uh, they didn't do it as well as they did in WandaVision, which did not feel terribly truncated. It seemed like they got everything in in WandaVision. Well, didn't yeah, WandaVision what? have majority of it shot before COVID hit and then they all they yeah. had to do was go back in and do the touch-ups at the end and then we just lost an episode because of it, essentially? Mm-hmm. I guess I, I I just don't feel it in that one, but I I feel it in this. The more we talk about them, I'm like, oh yeah, that's 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 a hole. That's a hole there. Yeah. I, I think that's the big difference in my head, at least. That Wandavision feels like a complete vision. Somebody's complete vision brought fully brought to life. This one feels like an incomplete vision. They're asking you to connect a lot of the dots that aren't there. And what are your thoughts? Write to us comments at uglycouchshow.com. And until next week, I am Master Torgo. 80s Jeff. Commander K. Fact check dandy and 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 no maple leaf. In spirit. In spirit. In spirit's <laughs> half the battle. <laughs> and yes, Kirsten Paulette as well. And we'll talk to you next week in Geek. Hey. I'm still I'm looking forward to more MCU TV stuff. I have so, one gripe. Give me Uh-oh. a break. I'm a native New Yorker. I haven't lived in New York for a while, but nevertheless, I'm proud of being a native New Yorker. In the comics, Luke Cage and Sam Wilson are Harlem born and bred. And in the MCU and Marvel TV, they're both Southern transplants. What Ah. do they, what does MCU have against native born Harlem New Yorkers? Because we got too many goddamn New Yorkers in the MCU already. I I would say. I would fuck say the you MCU fuck you. <laughs> I would say honestly, I think I think a lot of it is that uh, the fact that those those are both Harlem guys is a seventies thing, where the only black people any white people knew was Harlem, and Harlem is not the town it was that the area it was back in the seventies. Harlem's been gentrified. I I, I feel like Sam's storyline benefited by making him a Louisiana native. I was too busy being angry about it to appreciate it. <laughs> the, ra- the Mythic Quest Ravens Banquet hasn't spoken to you. Okay, what is that? It, it's, it sounds so good, it must be the dog. It is. <laughs> ah. It's coming through loud and clear on a nice mic. So it's like, okay, all right. Nice I, I got to mute it. There we go.
That's that's, that's fine, brother. It's fine. So anytime one to shut up or just start them the dogs making too much noise, that's good. Oh, you think that's gonna work, huh? <laughs> <laughs> so hey folks. Do you have scrubs that need washing? Do you have a friend who looks like a homeless lumberjack who needs bathing? Well, we now have it for you. Scrubjack, a new disinfecting cleaning product designed for your scrubs and that lumberjack homeless friend of yours who just needs cleaning. Brought to you by Geek Shock.